Welcome to the East City Wesleyan Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to learn more about East City Wesleyan Church, please go to ecw.org.nz for more information. Now, here's your podcast. So it's been a very exciting 18-week journey so far as we're going through the story. God's Word, excerpts from Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament narratives that inspire, that challenge, that ultimately change who we are. And the challenge for us ministers when we stand at this pulpit is how do we take so much information? Chapter 18, covering the book of Daniel, the story of the fiery furnace, the lion's den, kings, the exile, the things that knocked the wind out of people's sails, as shared two weeks ago. And to say, how do we peel the layers back and say, God, what's the truths that you want to reveal to us, to me, making it personal? And that's the challenge of this morning, and we invite the Holy Spirit to come. Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we pray that you open our hearts, our minds, our ears to listen to you. God, reveal to us the truths of Scripture that inspire, that challenge, and change us from the inside out. Lord, help us to leave this place differently than the way in which we came. We ask these things in the holy, awesome, and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. It was an awkward journey. It was a journey into the unknown of a place that we only heard about, a place in which we feared, and now it's what we need to call home. Home, home that is so different because it's not the foods that we were used to, it's not the customary celebrations and special times of worship through the year, but we're told what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. That this time of exile has been okay, but a lot of questions. A lot of questions about what are we to believe? What are we to uphold How must we fear for our very own lives? How must we follow suit to play ball with our captors, with those who will now rule over us and dictate the rules for our lives? It's different. Our needs are met. We're still provided for, but it's different. Some of the Jews have excelled. They've been recognized for how mighty and beautiful of a culture in which we represent. And the king has recognized them and has invested time, education, energy, special foods, so that their lives might be more pleasant. But me, I'm a nobody. A general laborer that I would move one rock from A to B, that I would help construct the wall around our great city, our home, the place in which we loved. There came an awkward day where the king, it it took a lot of time, a lot of people, it was all kinds of commotion, all the treasures, all the wonderful things from so many different lands near and far would be brought together and constructed into something unlike my eyes have ever seen. 
giant statue. And it was huge, and there was instructions around this. There was word that King Nebuchadnezzar had invited people from all over the land. Executive people, well-known people, powerful people that would come in to awe at the wonder of what this kingdom had accomplished, what this king had mastered. It was something of a journey into the unknown. What disturbed my inner peace and my heart was that we were told that this great statue, this magnificent work of art, wasn't just something to look at and admire, but the king would take it the next step further. It would be something that we were to worship. We knew that was wrong. We, we knew that we couldn't do that in our innermost being, that we couldn't bow our heads in the dirt and worship this statue. But our lives depended on it. We were in fear of our spouses, our children, and ourselves. That again, we would just follow suit. We would be the good Jews and we would do as we were told. On the day, people were gathering from all over. There was such a huge crowd, one like I had never seen before. And the place was full. But the crowd didn't measure up to this giant statue that stood in the middle of our city. And we were instructed that we would gather, we would fellowship, we would be in awe of this work of art. But when we heard the music play, the horns blast, the harps strummed, the lyres played, that we would then have to bow down and worship. A lot of chatter, a lot of welcoming, a lot of talking, and we were standing there just waiting. Waiting because our lives depended on it, that we didn't want to not hear the sound. We didn't want to not follow the instruction because we wanted to live. And the time came where the music sounded. And humbly I fell my face to the dirt in an act of worship. An act of response that I didn't want to do, but I had to do. And it was unsettling to my core. But there was something even more unsettling. More unsettling that as everyone in unison bowed down to this great magnificent statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. That a person next to me, I saw his sandals. He wasn't face down in the dirt with me. He was standing up boldly and strong, making a statement. I feared for this man. I, I feared because his life was now on the line. I wanted to reach out and grab his tunic and pull him down to the dirt to say, no, please, please, just do as you're told. But I couldn't muster the strength because there was something about it that just seemed right. Something about it that seemed proper and true and something that I myself could not do. He stood boldly. 
but yet he wasn't alone. Two other men stood alongside of him in bold defiance of the regulations of the king. And in that day with my face in the dirt, wondering, wondering if God could give me the strength to be so bold, I witnessed the assassination of a pagan god to say, no, we will not worship that. No, we will not do as we're told. No, we will honor the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That moment changed me forever. It, it helped me to question the things in which I had learned, the things in which I knew I stood for. And it shook me to my very core. But what was the reality of the situation? That they would go on and live long lives, historically making a difference and leaving an imprint on the world? No. They were going to die. They were going to die a horrible death according to the decree that they would burn in a furnace and their lives would be no more. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar was a man of his word. That he understood his power, that he had conquered the many lands around him. And when he did it, he did it with authority. He did it as a warrior. He did it with someone that took people's lives into his own hand to decide if it was going to continue or end. He wasn't telling a tall tale. These men were about to die. Nebuchadnezzar, I heard, gave him a second chance. To say, oh, well, you must have misunderstood the decree. So, as the music plays, if you bow down and worship, I'll let you go. They added to the boldness, to the king's face, said, no. You can give us a second chance, a third chance, a fourth, it doesn't matter. We will never bow down and worship this statue. The king was outraged, said that his face was distorted, that he was spitting fire, that he was raged in anger, and that their lives would soon come to an end. To stoke the furnace seven times hotter than it ought to be burning. To have the strongest men in his army bind their hands and feet so they could not escape, and they'd be thrown into the furnace. I saw this taking place. It wasn't something done in private. It was something done before all the Jews, before everyone in attendance, to know that King Nebuchadnezzar was the real deal. And he backed the authority with his boldness and truth to take people's lives in the palm of his hand and to rule with that heavy hand. The men that went to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, they died from the heat and the flames. I almost couldn't stand to watch this brutal act on friends, friends that I didn't know, but we were connected. We were connected by culture and life and who we were as a people. And my heart kind of longed to be there with them. To know that I stood for the God in which I love and the God that loved me. 
I couldn't watch. I looked away, and all of a sudden there was a lot of murmurs amongst the crowd. A lot of murmurs, not cheers of, yeah, get rid of those defiling, defiling people. Get rid of the Jews. Because people were angry. People didn't like us because we were taking position. We were taking leadership roles that they felt was theirs by heritage and by bloodlines. And they wanted us out of there. And the murmurs began to happen. And I, I, I tried to listen because it wasn't the cheering that I anticipated. And I turned my face to the fiery furnace to see men dancing freely amongst the fire. I couldn't believe it. I wiped my eyes and I looked again. I blinked multiple times. What I was witnessing was a miracle. Something only God could have orchestrated. Something so much more majestic than a big statue or lots of property, land, and wealth that our God was a miracle worker. And I got to witness it right then and there. God honoring His people that stood boldly for Him to honor Him. And my heart was again stirred. It was moved. It was motivated because the king was mesmerized. Everyone has to worship this statue. What's going on there in the furnace? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come forth out of that fiery furnace. Because certainly your God is the God most high. A beautiful story. A story that is life-changing, inspiring, to step on our toes, to move our hearts, to truly ask, what does it mean? What is going on? A Sunday school story that we hear so much about. But we ask the Holy Spirit to do something in us to learn not just the facts of the story, but the spiritual truths and vitality from the pages. The Babylonians took exiles to Babylon as early as 605 B.C. And it was important that as King Nebuchadnezzar was conquering the world around him, that he could do two things. He could eradicate the cultures and the ethnic groups from the face of the earth, or he could assimilate them into the Babylonian culture to grow one of the most mighty and powerful people of all times. He was wise. He was wise to not just get rid of the population, but he would strategically look to assimilate all cultures into that of Babylonian culture and belief. Now, Many of us here in New Zealand are immigrants. We have different traditions, holidays, accents, languages, foods, which are comforts of home. Things in which we remember of perhaps a former life or something a little bit different. But yet we've made this change and transition that Aotearoa is our home. It's a place in which we raise our families. It's a place in which we worship. It's the place in which we're blessed to be. When I moved to New Zealand, I had a lot of things I needed to pay attention to. I had some new words and vocabulary that I had to pick up. It wasn't the 
trunk of the car, it was the boot of the car. It wasn't a shopping cart, it was a trolley. It wasn't flip-flops, it was jandals, it wasn't the sidewalk, it was the footpath, it wasn't the parking lot, it was the car park. On and on these words go. And it started to change who I was. It started to not change it, but add to my life in a great way. There were new foods that I got to learn to enjoy and try. I wish you all could have seen my face the first time I sipped on a Bundaberg ginger, ginger beer. It was the foulest thing I ever put to my lips. Don't crucify the messenger. I now love this stuff. Quite tasty. It was an acquired taste for me. It was something completely new and different. Our first Christmas in New Zealand, we thought, well, we need to bake a ham, we need to cook a turkey, we need to have stuffing and sweet potatoes and kumra. And it was blazing hot in our house. We're sitting there cooking this meal and we're miserable for Christmas dinner. We're like, no wonder you guys go to the beach and have salads and things that are cool, right? Because it's the middle of summer. But it was something completely different. To Beck and I, in traditions of home, as we really saw how do we seek out new traditions to accept. But that's the beauty of being in God's perfect will for your life. That wherever He takes you, it adds on to and multiplies the experiences of life into a beautiful thing. It stretches you, it challenges you. Try driving on the other side of the road. It's challenging, isn't it, Chris? Just wait till you go back. Don't go on the roundabout the wrong way. It's challenging. But for the Jews, they didn't have an invitation or a prompting of the Lord to just say, go with it. Accept the cultures of the Babylonians and it's going to be okay. They lived in this constant turmoil. Because Nebuchadnezzar wasn't welcoming of their culture, he wanted to eradicate it. He wanted to take everything of home, everything of importance and value to them, and say, no, you're going to pry your hands off of it. You're going to kill that dream. And you're going to take the dream in which I'm going to give you. It wasn't genocide of a people, it was genocide of the mind. To tell them what to worship, what to eat, what to do, and what to be. Nebuchadnezzar strategically targeted the elite. The people who were powerful, strong, without blemish, because if he could enculture them, indoctrinate them, that the others would follow. So we went after the leaders. He went after the movers and the shakers to corrupt in them to convince them to kill their own culture and accept that of his. And he would then see the ripple effect through all the Jews that would follow suit. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were taken from Jerusalem and catch this, their names were even changed to steal their identity as a person and to rename them 
to say you'll forfeit your former self. Now's the new life which you're going to uphold and live. While Teshazer, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Book of Daniel chapter 1 verse 6. You could say that these four men were strangers in a strange land. They were experiencing life like they never dreamed. They were facing trials unimaginable. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.1 that God's people are strangers. Our home is the new Jerusalem. Peter writes in chapter 2 verse 11 that as we live as strangers and aliens, we must live lives honoring to God. It's what Daniel and his three friends do in Babylon. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. I've already shared in the the narrative story that we witnessed an assassination of a pagan god. And there's a verse that truly reflects the very nature of these men's heart. When awaiting for a word from the Lord, for Nebuchadnezzar's dream interpretation, Daniel chapter 2, verses 17 and 19, says, Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar didn't just focus on the non-Babylonians. He focused on everyone underneath him. He ruled with a heavy hand, and he controlled people's lives. In the good and the bad of his leadership, whatever you want to read into the narrative, he was a horrible person. He wanted his dream interpreted, and he wasn't going to share the dream. So all the men that were capable, all the men that got title and authority to do such acts said, it's absolutely impossible. Excuse me, impossible. And rightfully so. The world had never experienced it before. And Daniel thought, man, all these wise men, including ourselves, cannot be killed because Nebuchadnezzar has gone off the deep end again. He had a dream that was unsettling. Why? Because it spoke of his end. It spoke of his finite leadership. And it disturbed him to the core. And he, he wanted to understand this dream, yet no one could tell him. Daniel knew that they must petition the throne of God. They must ask God to reveal the truths of this dream, to reveal the story so that God would be glorified. Not Daniel, not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? But they could share the story that all innocent people and bystanders would be saved? No. So that God would be glorified. That was the purposeful intent. And I love this act of Daniel that he went to his most trusted consul. And he said, let's plead for mercy from God concerning this mystery. Let us pray. Daniel and these three men took a lot of bold stances throughout the book of Daniel. They refused the Babylonian diet, and they turned away the king's food. 
Not just special rations, but literally food from the table of the king. He said, please don't ask us to do that. Why? Because they didn't want to hand out from the king? No, they took the leadership. They took the authority. They took the promotions. They couldn't defile their own bodies to eat something that would be unclean. Something sacrificed to a pagan god, something presented to a king, and they said, no, we're going to take the road less traveled here. We're going to live on vegetables. Sounds like a horrible idea to me. I've never heard the Lord's voice. Any vegetarians, vegans, God bless you. They refused an offer from the king. Step one. Daniel and his three friends are healthier and wiser than all the others. And it's noticed by those around them. And they're blessed by God as they live as strangers in Babylon. Invited or told, instructed to bow down and worship this golden statue. And they stood in defiance of the king once more. Step two. In Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar's officials are jealous of Daniel's three friends and seek to trap him in this crime. I think the Jews that witnessed them standing in bold resistance to worship a pagan god, I think of the Babylonians that saw it to thought, now we got them. Now we can get rid of some of these Jews and we can take their spots of leadership. We might be able to eat from the king's table. So let's go tell what we just saw. And with excitement reporting to Nebuchadnezzar, because they understood the decree. They could get rid of some of these bothersome Jews once and for all. As a punishment, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into a fiery furnace. But they're not killed. Again, a a godly intervention, defiance upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And I love it. But it's not just these three men, it's a fourth. And there's a lot of things we can read in this story. There's a lot of speculation around commentary. But the one thing that we do know that God intervened in a miraculous way and his name was known to those that had no idea who God was. He became familiar. He became mighty. And it was a reminder to the Jews that he was still present with them even in exile. That he was still a God of miracles and he was still a God of unconditional love for his people. And then later in the book, we have Daniel that refuses to pray to Darius, the Persian king who conquered the Babylonians. He's thrown into a pit of lions in Daniel chapter 6. Darius's officials are jealous of Daniel. They look for an opportunity, much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they stood in bold defiance. They said, oh, you know, we're supposed to pray to only you for the next 30 days, but do you know what Daniel's done? Yes, Daniel stands at his window and looks over to Jerusalem, his holy city, and he prays every day. You said that can't happen. You said that surely any man who does not obey the decree shall be put to death. 
He's thrown into the pit of lions, unsettling to the core of the king. God intervenes, and his life is spared. A beautiful story. Stories of the Old Testament that we often just browse through saying, yeah, yeah, I know that story. Yeah, I know those characters. Does God use their stories to change us? What can we learn from their story? There's some simple principles that I want to take from this. Hopefully you've already started piecing together in your head. The Holy Spirit's talked to you of saying, man, I'm challenged by this boldness. I'm, I'm challenged by how radical believers were, even in exile, even in difficult circumstances in life. But there's a reality for us today that we must stand up, stand out, and stand firm. Stand up, stand out, and stand firm. The world needs you guys right now because you carry the great hope of Jesus Christ. And you don't have to look far to understand that our world is hurting, it's broken, and much of the world is absolutely lost. And it breaks my heart. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in the minority. They were a small remnant left of God's people from Judah that stood boldly, not in their own opinion, but in the Word of God. And they changed many lives along the way. Their stories read about, shared about, even in church this morning. You can read it in the Bible every day. The world needs a word from the Lord. So my encouragement to each and every one of us here this morning is to be unsettled in your heart and spirit. Long to not stay silent. Sometimes there's times to be quiet and sometimes there are times to be speaking out. And I ask you to long to not stay silent. But walk and approach that attitude as an attitude of prayer. You must pray, then pray some more, and pray again. And when you're all done praying, pray that the Holy Spirit guides your actions and your words to be people of grace and truth. When God puts something on your heart, let nothing slow you down. The world needs Jesus more than ever right now, and you are the messenger to deliver the good news. So I ask you, church, are you willing to stand up? Are you willing to stand out? And are you willing to stand firm even when things get difficult? Global pandemics, racism, financial crisis. Fill in the blank of the things that weigh heavy on your heart and on your shoulders. But let the words and the actions reflect not your own character and your own opinions, but let it be a reflection of God that's done an amazing work in you and calls you to a holy life, 
to honor him in everything that you say and do, and to him be the glory, now and forever. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this Old Testament story. That's so much more of just four bold men, but it's about your love for your creation and how you would do miraculous and wonderful things through your people to change the world. Then even surrounded by a pagan culture, surrounded by people that hated them, that the remnant of the Jews could do something bold to help other people open their eyes to recognize you as the King of kings, Lord of lords, the God most high. So God, speak wisdom and truth into our lives. Help us to grow in our Christian faith and our walk with you. Help us to honor you in all things that we say and do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.